Hello, my friends, special podcast today. And this one, you really do have to see the visuals to get the full impact. I have in my possession a list of the nearly 1,500 journalists who took a secret $61 million payoff from Justin Trudeau right before the election. It was a secret, but now it's not. Go to rebelinvestigates.com and you can see the list for yourself. Here's the podcast. And if you want to go to rebelnewsplus.com, sign up. You can see the video version too. All right, here's today's show. Tonight, a Rebel News exclusive, I have the names of the news media who secretly took a $61 million pre-election payoff from Justin Trudeau. It's 29 pages long. It's September 13th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Thank consumer you. I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say is government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. I have in my hands the list of journalists who secretly took a $61 million pre-election payoff from Justin Trudeau. Trudeau shoveled it out the door to them just before he called the election, and he kept the list a secret until now. You can see the list for yourself at rebelinvestigates.com. Seriously, go there and take a look. The list is 29 pages long. I've printed it off here. If I've counted right, there are 49 names on each page, and it's 29 pages long. By my math, that means there's almost 1,500 news media who took the bribe. It's actually more than that because this doesn't list individual reporters, but rather companies. So you can see that McLean's magazine was given a $313,000 pre-election top-up by Trudeau, one of the largest. They don't list all the individual prostitutes at McLean's. They just name the brothel. Oh, I'm sorry, is that too rude for you? I apologize. What would you call it instead that's more accurate? A, a bribe, a payoff, a kickback, an insurance policy. How about a special pre-election gratuity paid to the very journalists who were about to cover Trudeau's election campaign so lovingly? $61 million can ensure that it was loving. I mean, if someone gave you $61 million or even just the $313,000 that McLean's got, you'd probably love them or at least fake it. Prostitution is the world's oldest profession, and journalists are not known for their high morals. We didn't hear about these secret payments from any of the nearly 1,500 news media who received them, did we? Think about that for a moment. They had the news. They were in on the news. They were in the middle of it. They didn't dare share the news with you, their readers. They deliberately kept the news a secret from you because it showed that they were in Trudeau's pocket, and they didn't want you to know that because they know you already don't trust the media very much, and this would make it much, much worse. I mean, taking a government bailout at any time is a disaster for the reputation of the independence of the press. If you have an adjective in front of the word journalist, like government journalist, it just completely changes the meaning of the word. We all know that you can't trust Trudeau's CBC state broadcaster because of that, but now he's injected himself into nearly 1,500 other private sector media, if you can even still call them that. I won't call these 1,500 companies corporate welfare bums because all that means is they're mooches. Now, of course, they are that. And, of course, it is gross 
giving these mooches $61 million of public money in the middle of a pandemic as if they're a high priority. But it's not just the shocking amount of money Trudeau spends more than a billion dollars a day. It's that he has corrupted the media. It's like what he tried to do when Jody Wilson-Raybould stopped him. Um, he was trying to corrupt the criminal prosecution of his friends at SNC-Lavalin, and she wouldn't let it happen on her watch. 1,500 news media were all too happy to let it happen on their watch. They're part of it. It's an inside job. They took the dough. We only heard about this from one of the few media in Canada who were not on this 29-page list, a small reader-supported news outlet in Ottawa called Black Locks Reporter. They're not cheap to subscribe, if I recall. Their annual subscription's about 300 bucks, but it's worth every penny to me. They break all sorts of news, and we have to support them because they're one of the few truth-tellers out there who aren't in Trudeau's pocket. Anyways, here's what Blacklock's report last month. Now the subsidies are secret. Heritage Minister Stephen Gilbo's department refuses to name publishers awarded nearly $61 million in pre-election emergency relief. The grants were to ensure readers receive timely information they require from their government, Gilbo wrote in a letter to MPs. I love that. If they didn't give $61 million to their friends in the media on the eve of an election, maybe those reporters wouldn't report the news in a timely way. Is that what they're arguing? I don't even get it. I'll read one more line. The letter disclosed unnamed publishers received $60.8 million as emergency support through an existing Heritage Department program called aid to publishers. The grants were in addition to annual subsidies already paid, including proceeds from a $595 million media bailout approved by Parliament in 2018. So this latest payout is on top of the $600 million. They, they plan to keep the name secret, though, until after the election. Well, when we saw that Blacklock story, we immediately filed an access to information request to the government. And to my surprise, the government actually answered us and they required 30 days. That is very rare. Trudeau has sometimes delayed access to information requests by as much as five years when he's really embarrassed about something. So maybe there's someone in the bureaucracy who's as disgusted as we are by this massive bribe and he wanted the news to get out sooner. So we simply asked for the list and we got it. And again, why did no one else do that? <laughs> well, duh, because nearly 1,500 journalists and news media organization are implicated in it. This is a list of sellouts is what this is. It's a list of compromised media. I'm sorry, it's different. I mean, corporate welfare bums are always discreditable. Bombardier, SNC-Lavalin, all the crooked companies. That's just normal crooked, though. But the people on this list are supposed to be the watchdogs, the guardians, the ones holding the government to account. Them taking a bribe is much worse than some, I don't know, chewing gum factory taking a bribe. And the fact that they started their service to Trudeau immediately, they immediately tailored their coverage by not covering the payoff itself, shows they're fully in the tank for Trudeau. Imagine if Blacklocks hadn't broken the story last month. And imagine if we didn't file the access to information request. The other 1,500 news media companies in Canada would simply have hidden it from you. They're colluding is my point. But really, are you surprised? They've colluded to kick out Rebel News time and again. We had to go to the federal court just last week to get access to the debates. And not only did no journalists support us getting in, other than Candace Malcolm and Andrew Lawton from True North, but when we won in court, most journalists who expressed an opinion actually denounced us. Here's a press release from Trudeau's bailout media in Quebec denouncing Rebel News, saying we should never have been allowed in 
to the debates. It's in French. To be clear, this is a Quebec union of reporters saying the federal court was wrong to upheld freedom of the press. Now, I can see why they're all on this list. They're all bought and paid for. And so our mere presence embarrasses them. It's why you'll never see any of them asking a real question like this one. Bonjour, Monsieur Trudeau. Alexandre pour uh, Rebel News. Donc, Monsieur Trudeau, je vais revenir rapidement sur ce qui s'est passé hier. Vous avez dé diabolisé l'un des rares médias qui ne reçoit pas d'argent du gouvernement. Vous avez exprimé votre opinion en disant que nous propageons la désinformation. Si c'était vrai et si c'était le cas, la Cour, la Cour fédérale ne nous aurait pas permis d'être ici aujourd'hui. Je suis moi-même scientifique et je me base sur les faits. Ma question est la suivante. L'Israël est l'un des pays les plus vaccinés au monde. Ils sont rendus maintenant à leur quatrième rappel de vaccin. Ils ne considèrent plus que ceux qui ont reçu deux doses de vaccin sont pleinement vaccinés. Ma question est, plusieurs Québé euh, Canadiens ne désirent pas avoir une, un rappel de, de vaccin. Allez-vous leur enlever leurs privilèges reliés au passeport vaccinal? Et aurez-vous l'obligeance de répondre à ma question en tant que premier ministre ou allez-vous encore diaboliser mon média? J'ai partagé ma perspective sur ton organisation euh, hier soir. Je n'ai plus rien à dire. Ça demande bien qui vous êtes. Merci. Yeah, they hate Alexa and they hate Rebel News because we're not bought off. And by asking real questions like that, we shame them because it shows how easily bought off they are. Now, I won't go through the whole list. There are 1,500 names, which is perhaps the largest conglomeration of prostitutes outside the website OnlyFans. I'll mention just a few. I showed you McLean's already. The biggest troffers here are, as usual, post media. By my count, they literally took 48 payments, the most of any company. If you're wondering why your daily newspaper is pro-Trudeau, look no further. If you're wondering why you didn't read about this payoff in your daily newspaper, look no further. They're on the take. There are weird things on the list too, like TVA. That's a TV station in Quebec, but they figured out how to game the system. They've set up publications huh? and managed to pocket seven figures from just this payoff round. There's a left-wing union brochure called rabble.ca. It's just a website. I call it a union brochure. Take a look for yourself. It's a forum for big labor unions. Their logos are all over it. There's, there's Unifor, which is running attack ads against the conservatives. That's a journalism union on the left. So, of course, Rabble got a newspaper bailout, even though they don't publish a newspaper. That's a neat trick. There's a left-wing website propped up by the Tides Foundation called the National Observer. The Tides Foundation is an anti-oil sands lobby group founded in San Francisco. They received a quarter million dollars from Trudeau. They're only too happy to do Trudeau's dirty work for him and to attack Trudeau's rivals in dirty ways Trudeau himself likely couldn't get away with. But there are so many news companies, it's a laugh. Who's getting the money? I mean, you saw Stephen Gilbo's rationale. We need these magazines and newspapers to get the important pandemic news out or whatever he said. Have you ever seen the magazine called Nouveau, N-U-V-O magazine? It's one of those lush luxury magazines, luxury porn, $1,000 shoes, million-dollar cars, private jets, all exquisitely photographed, that kind of thing. Not actually a political magazine or a news magazine at all. 261 grand for them because nothing says luxury lifestyle like being a beggar for Trudeau's table scraps. How day class say, that's really embarrassing the Nouveau's brand.
I see Ming Pao is on there. That's the China-based newspaper that publishes a Canadian edition. You can see Trudeau on their front page. Yeah, they got 16 grants from Trudeau, more than a million bucks in this round alone. You bet they'd sell their front page for that. And Ming Pao is famous for being collaborators with the Chinese Communist Party. They're probably, you know, they'd love pro-Beijing Trudeau anyways, but they're only too happy to take free money from him also. Maybe they thought this would be a secret. Maybe they just don't care. Now, some of it's pitiful. I get this magazine that I happen to have in my office because I'm a member of the tow truck company called the Canadian Automobile Association, the CAA. It's, it's not a news magazine, just so you know. Like, like Nouveau is just some luxury shopping magazine. The CAA magazine, there's no news in this. It's all just selling the CAA's travel services. They got $400,000. That's just plain corporate welfare. I'm not even going to make the case that the CAA tow truck people are even pro-Trudeau hacks. They're, they're just piggies at the trough getting free money if $61 million is going out the door. And in secret, why not jump in snout first? So they did. I remember the news a few years ago when an adultery website called Ashley Madison had its membership hacked. Thousands of married men who secretly signed up to meet mistresses online their names, addresses, and details were hacked and published on the internet. There were even suicides. People who were so sure their name would be kept a secret were suddenly exposed and were so deeply ashamed in front of their families and communities. Now, look, I'm not for adultery. I'm not for hacking. And I'm definitely not for suicide. It was a terrifying moment for many men who thought that there were secrets. And a reminder, as Luke 12, 3 says, Whatsoever ye've spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. Well, it's not a secret anymore, is it? Go to rebelinvestigates.com and read through the list of nearly 1,500 media organizations who thought they could keep a secret. And indeed, they kept the secret. They did. Were it not for the good work of Blacklocks and then our own access to information researchers, go through the list and realize. And remember, these people are not news media. They do not tell you the whole story. They do not tell you the other side of the story. And when they themselves are part of the story in a disreputable way, they will hide the truth from you. And you know, they almost got away with it. Go read the shameful list at rebelinvestigates.com. And if you think our access to information researcher did a good job, please leave a tip at the tip jar. We spend thousands of dollars a year on research like this. And unlike these 1,500 prostitutes, we'll never take a dime from Trudeau, not even in secret. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, it's dangerous to criticize George Soros, one of the world's richest men. He has a thin skin, but that's not why he's dangerous. A lot of billionaires have thin skins. It's that George Soros is so pathologically political, and he is an extremist in terms of how far he will go to change the world and bend it to his own vision. He's been accused by those who work with him of having a God complex, and you can understand it when you're quite that rich. You've canceled, you've, you've met every challenge in life other than people will not bend their will to you. There's nothing in commerce or industry or banking or finance he hasn't done. So now he just wants to settle scores and change the world to be in his image. 
George Soros is by far the largest donor in American politics, perhaps as large as all other donors combined. Let me show you right now one of his websites. This is the Open Society Foundation. They openly boast that they have spent 16.8 billion U.S. dollars, billion, that's 20 billion Canadian, on political projects that surely is as much as every other donor combined. Now, this is parceled out around the world, 50,000 grants worth, and there's a map on his homepage that shows where he does things in the world. Sometimes they're called color revolutions, where he tries to topple entire governments. Sometimes he actually succeeds. I say you have to be careful, because I myself wrote a column about George Soros in the Toronto Sun about a decade ago. It was meticulously researched and footnoted, reviewed by the Sun, but Soros slapped the Toronto Sun with a defamation notice for things that would be publishable in America, but we don't have the First Amendment up here. And the Sun looked at this multi-billionaire and settled immediately. I regret that, but I didn't have the fighting spirit then that I have now. So it is with some, imp I'm impressed and amazement that someone dares to write an unauthorized biography of Soros. And we join that author now. His name is Matt Palumbo, who comes to us live via Skype from the New York area. The book is called Man Behind the Curtain, Inside the Secret Network of George Soros. And Matt Palumbo joins us now. Matt, great to meet you. Good for Thanks you. Thanks for having me on. Um, I tell our people, don't engage in conspiracy theories. There's no need for it. The world is crazy enough as it is. And especially in the case of George Soros, he admits to everything. He's got a monstrous ego. I showed you his homepage. There's a whole section dedicated to him. Um, he's not hiding how much money he's spending. He sort of likes to take credit for most things. That's what's so amazing about George Soros. It's not a conspiracy theory. There are facts that he brags about that, I don't know if you call them a conspiracy, but they're certainly shocking. Yeah, there are, it's almost like conspiracy facts. Um, you know, one of the, uh, I think, most surprising things about uh, researching for the book, which, you know, included reading everything Soros has ever written, um, was he is very open and transparent about his ego. In fact, the, the intro quote to the book is Soros saying, uh, I want to be the conscience of the world. That's my goal. Um, and, and all throughout, you know, the, the first chapter is sort of just biographical, giving an overview of his life. And he's very open about his ego. He's very open that, you know, even his early activism, which was, you know, um, toppling communist governments, you know, even right-wingers might look at that and say, well, at least he did something right there. But even then, he admits, well, it was mostly self-serving. Um, you know, when state assets are getting privatized, he was able to profit from that. Um, and, you know, even the subtitle of my book is The Secret Network of George Soros. And it's it's secret in that, you know, no one has put together the, you know, the, the kind of pieces of the puzzle or done the legwork. But a lot of it's just really out there. It's, you know, we can look up his grants. We can look up where the money's going. Um, he himself is very transparent about the goals. So it, it made the, the job a, a lot easier. And and, um, you know, when it comes to conspiracies, that was part of the motivation for the book was, you know, whenever there's some new leftist cause or movement, you always see someone in the comments blaming Soros, um, even when he's not behind it. So I just thought, well, you know, why not just document everywhere he actually is? So, that, you know, there's no needs for conspiracies when the guy has spent, you know, as you put up there, 16 billion U.S. dollars. And that's really just the start of it. Um, Another theme of the book, too, is what happens after he's gone. Um, and in just the past few years, I think it was about five years ago, he donated over $30 billion of his wealth to his own foundation, which is twice, you know, roughly twice as much as has been spent 
throughout his entire lifetime on these causes. So, you know, one third of his wealth has been depleted towards these sort of causes, but there's a heck of a lot left to go, and a lot of it will actually be uh, probably be on the grave. Yeah. And uh, his son, Alex Soros, yeah. is clearly trying to pick up um, in his father's uh, baton. George Soros, mm -hmm. his son, Alex, as you might imagine, is a is a playboy in so many ways. Fast women, fast cars, living the billionaire lifestyle. But as he approaches middle age, he's becoming uh, a political um, gadfly. I mean, he he loves traveling the world by private jet and photographing himself with uh, leftist politicians around the world. So he clearly is trying to transform his father's network into his own. I don't know if he has the brains or the uh, killer instinct of his father, but he certainly has his father's ambition and his father's love for power. Uh, do, you, do you deal with his son in the book as well? Well, I don't like go into that much detail, but I do kind of list him as one of the people that's going to kind of continue the throne. Um, now, Soros initially, I think it was maybe a decade or two ago, thought that if he tried to sort of you know influence him from beyond the grave, it would be difficult because obviously he has no control. Um, though later in you know his even later later years, he's sort of reversed on that and decided it would be worth doing. Um, and you know one of the things he's done too, in addition to um, you know donating these thirty billion dollars, is he's also targeting universities, and I, I call it kind of like you know the infrastructure of society or the infrastructure of ideas. He's just piling money into things that will sort of advance his ideological vision where he doesn't even have to look at it or talk to it or, or, um, or touch it. Um, so he created a network of colleges called the Open Society Foundation University Network. There's a couple dozen colleges all around the world that are all partnered with one another. And all they do is just you know teach and advance his, uh, his agenda um, and do a ton of research to try to support um, you know, causes he supports. And you know, of course, 100% of the research is going to you know, find a way to support what he wants, you know, all the time. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a real problem amongst uh, conservative or freedom-oriented philanthropists. I mean, I don't know if I would call John D. Rockefeller conservative. Um, I think he was a robber baron, but I certainly wouldn't call him leftist progressive or anything like that. These ultra-wealthy barons of the right, when they leave their money to foundations, like the Rockefeller Brothers Fund or, or the Ford Foundation, um, if those men could see what their money is being deployed to today, they would spin in their graves. They would, they would have preferred to have set their money in a big pile and burned it. I don't think George Soros has the same problem because, you know, it was John Conquest who said any organization that's not explicitly conservative over time will wind up leftist. Well, Soros is starting leftist, and I, I think the, the risk that his money will be turned around against his uh, donor's intent is, is zero. Like, I mean, if you're donating it to an American yeah. university, that's the wokest of the woke. I think he will be able to rest in his grave soundly, knowing that his money will continue to do leftist bidding for decades after he's gone, probably a century. Yeah. That's what confused me about the college thing, was I'm going, what, like, is his thesis that uh, college isn't liberal enough? I mean, obviously, that would be laughable to say. Um, I could only find, too, to your point, one example of his, don his donations backfiring. Um, this is back in the late 80s. He actually uh, funded Victor Orban's law school scholarship. Hmm. Um, the, you know, Orban had just founded the, his current political party, Fidesz. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. And it was, he was more center-left at the time, and he got the, the sponsorship. Um, of course, later in life, we know, is now a right-wing nationalist, has effectively expelled Soros from the country, um, and even Soros's university, uh, Central European University, has been expelled. So that was uh, one example I found of it hilariously blowing up in his face. But yeah, the other fifty thousand grants, of course, has not uh, anything. Nothing like that has happened again. We're talking to Matt Palumbo, who's the author of a new book called 
man behind the curtain inside the secret network of George Soros. Again, that word secret, I understand what you're saying. It's not secret. It's all out there. Even I know, for example, I, I read years ago about Soros's various projects. He had an attorney's general project. Yeah. He had a secretaries of state project. I'm thinking, yes. what are you talking about? Well, he wanted to put in attorneys general across America and secretaries of state, which uh, is not a word we use up here in Canada, but at the U.S. state level, that's basically the folks in charge of the votes how you vote. So if you're, am I right on that, Matt? So if you're... Yeah, if you're, I, I actually have a whole chapter called Soros Goes Local, and I'll elaborate in a bit, yeah. So if you're trying to move elections, if you're trying to change criminal law policy, yeah, you can do it at the huge high level, but if you install radical left-wing prosecutors to basically say we're not going to prosecute crimes anymore, if you install radical vote counters who say we don't want any voter ID, um, you can have mail-in ballots, ballot harvesting. You spend 10 years putting in 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 of these people at local level. Guess what? Uh, it all comes together on a key election night. Or, you know, you look at San Francisco and the rest of California, in any big left-wing city, you can see the Soros candidates. He is, like I say, he is larger than either the Republicans or the Democrats in terms of his spend. Like a U.S. presidential election is in the single-digit billions. Mm -hmm. Soros tens times that already. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, so the, actually, I think it's probably the longest chapter of the book is called Soros Goes Local. And I think it's obviously the most relevant to an American readers. And I just go through almost like, like a baseball card for each candidate he's backed. I go through who's the person, how much is Soros given, uh, what's their background. They're almost always unqualified or very little prosecution. Uh, prosecutorial experience, um, what policies do they advocate on the campaign, um, then what, what policies did they then implement, and what resulted? And it's the same story every time. They always campaign on weak on crime policies, and, you know, they they, they put it in social justice language or, or make it like, you know, we just don't want to send people to jail who smoke pot. You know, they, they phrase it in that language, and of course, that's not what actually happens. It's across the board will also get enforced, and and usually there's double-digit increases in violent crime. Um, you know, the only forms of crime that ever decrease are the things they just stop defining as crime. So it's it's rigged. Um, and a lot of these, I think his success rate I found was in excess of 90% in the local races, because, you know, you can't do this really much in national races, but in local, you really can just drown someone in cash and pretty much make it enough what they win. And a lot of these prosecutors have become household names, like Kim Fox, the one who got Jesse Smollett, the uh, former actor off, was a Soros-backed prosecutor. Um, in, in San Francisco, you mentioned Chase Abudin, the son of two uh, 60s radicals who, who was raised by Bill Ayers. Um, and one of his main policies, he effectively legal shoplifting in San Francisco, because in California, it's just a misdemeanor if you steal less than $900 worth of something, um, which is actually common in many states. But the, the difference is he's just not prosecuting misdemeanors of that sort. So it basically makes it legal. And, you know, every few days, there's a new viral video in San Francisco of someone robbing like a, a Walgreens or a Target. And then they literally will sell the goods two blocks down the corner because there's no consequences. And then, of course, you know, we kind of know this in New York and in the Giuliani cleanup, that when you enable crimes like that, you bring a certain type of people into an area, and that is going to bubble up, and it's going to turn into much, much more violent crime. Um, and, and you know, all pol politics ultimately is local. You know, most governments are federalist, and and that's where the most autonomy and control is. So, so it's uh, I think that's what people need to be most aware of. You know, like even if Soros single-handedly got Biden elected, he still has a million other people to answer for. When it's someone local and he's gotten them elected, it, it's he's his, their his grip on them is just so much more intense. Um, not like he is in the Biden administration. In fact, I have a whole chapter on that as well. Um, the law and order, I think, is the most dangerous.
the local, I, I should say. Well, um, it's very interesting. It's very terrifying. The fact that he will, you know, um, despite the best medical attention in the world, he is in his mid-80s, and I don't know if he'll go on for... I, I wouldn't be surprised if he lives into his 90s. I mean, he'll do what it takes. But his money will live on yep. for more than... Why wouldn't it last for more than a century? Rockefeller's has. I want to ask you if you know anything about Canada and Soros. Um, I know that uh, very early on, he got his grip into the Trudeau administration. And again, not a conspiracy theory. Here's a photograph of Soros meeting Trudeau uh, almost immediately after Trudeau was elected in 2015. And there's another version of this photograph that has Christia Freeland there. Christia Freeland wrote about Soros and then was tapped to be his authorized biographer again. She is now... Uh, the senior cabinet minister in Trudeau's government. She's still on the board of the World Economic Forum, which is one of Soros's favorite hangouts. So Soros's biographer is now the senior cabinet minister in Canada. Soros had an early meeting with Trudeau where they talked about immigration policy and refugee policy. And within months of uh, Trudeau's administration taking office in 2015, they signed a contract with the Open Societies Foundation. Again, all of this is out in the open. None of this is a conspiracy theory where they outsourced refugee policy to the New York-based Open Societies Foundation. So that's what I know about George Soros having his tentacles right into the heart of Trudeau's government. Are you aware of anything else that has focused on Canada from George Soros? Uh, so, so unfortunately not. I would say the book is probably 90% U.S. and maybe 10% or so Europe. Um, but that's all entirely plausible. And if it's public information, with this guy, it's probably true. Um, you know, there's one area in the book where I just document all, like, leaked documents from the Open Society Foundation, which clearly they don't want us to read. Um, but there was one, and, you know, I think this relates to Canada in, in that if it's happening in Europe, it's happening there probably. Um, there is one dossier of his that's about 300 pages long where it literally lists every Every single member of European Parliament and which ones they think would be sympathetic to the Open Society Foundation um, and which ones they think would advance Soros' agenda. They have their email, their phones, their addresses, like everything you could possibly know in all these people. Um, so if they're doing that for, you know, a body in, in, in uh, Europe, I, I would assume it's true in Canada. Um, and yeah, I mean, he, he is all the time photographed with people that he's influencing. He's not, he doesn't shy away from it. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, it sounds entirely plausible and I completely believe you, obviously. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, it's, it's very interesting, the, the amount of money sloshing around. Uh, in a country like the United States, obviously, billions of dollars, it's, it's still enormous, but America is the largest political um, campaign battlefield in the world in terms of money. But in a place like Hungary, that's smaller in terms of population, smaller economy, if a guy drops $100 million to influence a country like that, you could topple a whole government. Oh, yeah. I think that's one of Soros's moves. Obviously, he wants to control America. It's the most important country. But he has interests around the world. He likes his color revolutions, as he calls them. He likes to topple other countries. And it seems to me that a guy who's got tens of billions of dollars, he'd probably spend a billion in Canada because the knock-on effect of the United States would be huge. He would love right. to have Canada. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, and uh, Go ahead. 
I was going to say, you know, Hungary is actually one of the countries that has, you know, taken, I think, the most initiative to kick Soros out. Um, just a few years ago, they invested tens of billions of euros into a campaign called Stop Soros. Um, just all around Hungary, there was anti-Soros billboards. If you got, if you got on a, a bus, like a public bus, on the floor, they would, they would have photos of Soros for people to walk over. Like they had an all-out assault on the guy, um, and it was extremely successful. Most of the public's now against him, um, and I don't even think he can enter his own, his native country anymore. So it's, you know, if Soros's influence is really only as strong as we let it be. Um, in fact, in the last chapter, I have a section called The Revolt Against Soros, where I just list every other country that has been successful in kicking the guy out. And, you know, a lot of conservatives in this country just sort of think, like, well, that's antithetical to our values, but uh, so is Soros. So you kind of have to pick a side there. Yeah, I mean, he will own your country as a toy. Yep. You know, he's already got the private jets, the yachts, whatever. What's left to collect but people and countries? He's collected Christian Freeland and Justin Trudeau. Who else has he collect, collected? Well, Matt, it's nice to meet you. The book is called Man Behind the Curtain. It's uh, being distributed by Simon & Schuster, which I mentioned because a book of this controversy to be distributed by such a prominent and premium uh, publisher like that is obviously a credit to your accuracy because your book will obviously be denounced. I'm frankly slightly surprised it's being allowed to be published because it wouldn't shock me if the president of Simon & Schuster got a phone call and an offer he couldn't refuse, but it looks like he's going ahead with it. So good luck with that, and uh, I look forward to reading it myself. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on, and I think you'll enjoy it. All right, there you have Matt Palumbo. The book is called Man Behind the Curtain. Stay with us. More ahead. back on my show Friday, Amy writes, maybe with the leaders' vaccine video, when they say we're all in this together, they mean screwing the voters. Maybe they really are all in this together. Hmm. I see your point, but it's a false impression of unanimity. This country is not un unanimous or unified in any way. In fact, I, I can't recall a time where it's been this divided, not just Quebec versus, like we've had division in this country before, Quebec separatism, things like that. But this is pitting neighbors against each other, customers against shopkeepers, teachers against students. It's pitting families against you. This is the worst time, and the politicians are whipping it up. And they had a false unanimity when they said, we're all in this together, because they deliberately excluded the one party leader who's against the lockdowns, Maxime Bernier, who, by the way, is ahead of the polls uh, with higher numbers in the bloc or the Green Party, yet he was excluded and they were included. Same way they kept us out. We had to go to federal court to get in. They're trying to fake unanimity. There is great dispute over this, and we're going to take it to court, by the way. Mike writes, just read there are many mail-in ballots in election may not be decided on election night. I haven't studied Canada's election rules carefully. I've been focused on other things. I'm glad we don't use voting machines like they did in the U.S. presidential election. I'm unfamiliar with the rules regarding voter ID or mail-in ballots. I know those are too uh, risky areas. I don't know what's being done to mitigate the risk. So I, I don't have anything smart to say, but I think you are wise to be on guard because it's not who votes that counts. It's who counts the votes that counts. Virginia writes, the only decent party, in my opinion, is the PPC. Well, I happen to know that there are some good conservative MPs out there, but they are not allowed to say what they feel. You heard Aaron O'Toole. If anyone deviates an inch from the party platform, they'll be thrown out. Uh, except for him, of course. He abandoned the party's uh, firearms uh, stance under a day's pressure from the left-wing media, so I guess he can violate it. 
But really, what is the point of voting for a conservative MP if he tells you in a whisper, I'm with you. But when it comes time to count, he bends the knee for Aaron O'Toole, and Aaron O'Toole is indistinguishable from Justin Trudeau. Whether it's the carbon tax, open borders, immigration, lockdowns, firearms, vaccine passports, can you really tell me a difference? I don't know. If you can, you've got better eyes than me. That's our show for today. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom.